From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 483, Application Automation Using Habitat, with guest Jessica DeVita. Recorded Wednesday, July 13th, 2016. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell from Run As Radio here at ChefConf in a little bit of an echoey meeting room, and I found myself at Jessica DeVitas. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. My pleasure. It's great to see you again at ChefConf. This is your first ChefConf? My first ChefConf. Wow. And you've been a chef now for over One year. Just I just year, celebrated right? one year anniversary at Chef. So when I met you, it was TechEd, back when there was yeah, a Back tech in the ed. day, yeah, yes. You, you won Speaker Idol, as I recall. Yes. And you were an independent consultant then, too. That's right. Ran a practice out of the LA area. That's right. And then went to Microsoft for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we're year and a half at Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. You did, were you TE? Ah, uh, technical evangelism. Yeah. 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 And the DX team there. Which is a cool job. I mean, oh, I, I argue the best great. job. Great. <laughs> the best job and uh, great, great colleagues and coworkers and just had a lot of fun at Microsoft. So you do the TE similar thing? type things for Chef? Yeah. So I'm back in the evangelism team at Chef. And mm-hmm. so it's that traditional spending time in the community, trying to understand what developers want right. and um, helping them adopt some of the you know, ways that, that we are doing things now. Sure. Um, so it's, it's really fun. And it's certainly what Chef's all about is, you know, building tools for rapid deployment and getting yes. all those things together. And of course, this being the conference, there was a mm-hmm. keynote this morning and the big announcement, there was a few. There was a few. <laughs> but Habitat, then this is outside. Yeah. I normally think of Chef's product, the sort of Chef product, right. the open source product as a uh, infrastructure automation. Mm-hmm. Habitat is different. It's totally different. And this notion of Chef being this infrastructure automation, right? Mm-hmm. And because that's the types of problems we've solved for right. a long time. Um, and so Habitat's a pretty radical approach and it's definitely coming from the developer side of things. Right. And so now we have a really nice way to meet the needs of both of these groups of folks, right? And meet somewhere in the middle. Like I guess we that's the question about. is, has Chef been, do you feel like IT oriented in the DevOps story versus dev oriented in the DevOps story? Because if we think infrastructure, I think IT. Sure. And so it depends on your perspective. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people look at Chef and if they're very um, much from the development side of things, it's a very natural thing for them to work the with. The language is Ruby. Right, which, exactly. Which developers adore. They adore it, right? Mm-hmm. It's designed to be, you know, fun to use and mm-hmm. make programmers, uh, you know, happy and, and it should be enjoyable to use. Yeah, it's sort of a DSL natural language. It's mm-hmm. very extensible. It's mm-hmm. very easy to build up a, a, a language around yeah. installation, deployment, you know, those kinds yeah. of problems. Yeah. And with Chef, you know, if the DSL doesn't meet your needs, you know you can escape out and ruby the hell out of it, yeah. whatever you need to Extend do. It as far as you want to go. Yeah. But like traditionally, a lot of people think about Chef from an infrastructure perspective right. and infrastructure automation because that's what we did and that's what the problems that needed solving. And continue to do. Yeah. You know, source is freely downloadable. You can take it out for a spin any way you want. Yeah. You guys so offer services to make it easier. We do. And so Chef is o- an open source company as heard. Right. That's why Habitat is open source and Chef is open source. And so having uh, people be able to see if it solves problems for them right. before, you know, they need a commercial relationship. Great. We'll support you. 
that. Yeah, you should get to a certain place. What does it mean to be application automated then? Like that's an interesting, I saw that it's phrase today. It's a new word. And and I like, what it is went, that? What is hmm, that? Is it, what do you mean by that? Yeah, aren't applications automated anyway? Right, right. So with Chef, that the, um, the focus has obviously infrastructure and mm-hmm. configuration management. But in this idea of, you know, what do we do for applications? That box was pretty empty and sort of a mystery box for a while. Sure. And so what Adam did and, and, uh, his entire team of folks that, that wrote Habitat literally started over and said, what would it take to make applications great again? You know, like make apps great again. Right. And so that's about automating everything that the app needs to behave, the behavior, the, uh, topology, you know, everything you need about the app is inside the artifact, right? Okay. So if you're doing those things outside of the artifact, that's where your insane complexity comes from. So Habitat puts that in a side artifact for you. Okay. So the behavior, everything that you need to know. So we're talking about things like scaling security, like what are the elements that Habitat take on? Right. So traditionally, if you're doing infrastructure or, or even if you're trying to work with containers at all, right. you're trying to abstract the things that stay the same and focus on the application itself. Sure. I just want to write my business yeah. logic, right? I just want yeah. to build the pieces that are unique to us. Well, right. And so that's where the value is. So developers really don't care how you run it. They no. just, they want to, they want to write it and well, ship and it and sort of have it left work. them out of the loop too, right? We totally have. Build my thing the way I want to build yeah. it. Then I toss it over the wall to office. And see like, what happens. Hey, deploy this for this. me. I'm going right. to go get a beer. Right. And so Habitat takes this idea that developers should, you know, if you build it, you run it, you own it. Mm-hmm. It takes that and actually makes that feasible for developers to be able to not just write the app, but also say, well, this is how it's going to run and this is how it's going to work. And so there's less of a need for operations to have this mystery of, oh my goodness, I don't even know what this thing needs. And so there's a lot more focus on that behavior upfront, which is what our industry really needs. Is this part of an architectural discussion then before I write code? I'm already making some decisions of how it's going to live within Habitat. Right. So in Habitat, I don't know if you watched the, much of the demo Saw at all. Of it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so within Habitat, everything starts with a plan, so right. the plan.sh file. And within that, you're describing all of the behavior. Mm-hmm. You're describing where it's going to, where's the package source? Where is it going to find everything that it needs? You're defining that oh, in the plan. So the pieces that a developer would traditionally build are just elements in this manifest. Basically, or the, yeah, from yeah, and so in that is all of the dependencies, mm-hmm. and so that kind of um, you don't have that visibility with without Habitat into no. those dependencies. So it's most of those dependencies powerful. get declared by the developer somewhere in their code, and right. after compilation, it's kind of tricky to see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Habitat guarantees that that way that app is going to run will run the identical behavior. The bits will not change, mm-hmm. no matter where you're going to run it. Nice. So, and then obviously platform agnostic. This may be a Microsoft centric show. But I'm, so I imagine it'll work with .NET, but I bet it would probably work just fine with some jar files, too. Yeah. So the Windows question is interesting. It's mm-hmm. like, does it work on Windows yet? And the answer is no. Yeah. But we are, you know, so close working with Microsoft so closely. I really yeah, I anticipate. Yeah, there's a group of the guys that are from Microsoft mm-hmm. that are part of the Habitat project, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's a direct involvement. Well, we've been, um, I think the whole point was to work closely with our partners mm-hmm. to build something that they would find value in, that their customers would find you'd value in. All, yeah. deal so, with all of those sorts of things. Yeah, and I believe that Microsoft is in a place where it'll be pretty revolutionary for Windows developers to use Habitat, so I'm excited for that it's, potential. It's 
potential. It doesn't exist yet, to be clear. But you're on this path. (laughs) But we're working on it. Yeah, and you guys are making these early announcements. Yeah. So, I mean, is there a certain amount of habitat out in the field right now, or is it just coming into beta? Like, how far along is it? So, the project's been going on for about a year now, Mm -hmm. right? And um, so, it just uh, was released on the 14th of July, and... But we have a lot of early customer partners right. who are are pretty invested. And what would their are they like lamp stack folks? Like what what is their oh, setup? It's, you know, I think it runs the gamut, and mm-hmm. I think people are right now. I don't think kicking the tires is the right word, but it. But again, it's a, it's it's a really new thing that right. there really isn't anything else out there. Well, so the, I mean, I've, so I think when I talk about really successful projects, mm-hmm. I talk about projects where IT and Dev got in the room while we were drawing the first circles and arrows, right? And talked about the infrastructure we have, what needs to be built, what doesn't need to be built, and making those plans, those architectural discussions with the operations folks in the room. You know, sort of the opposite of that almost apocryphal now, well, we just wrote it, handed to them, they should be able to run it. How hard could this be? So it sounds like this is tooling that encourages that behavior. This is absolutely. And so I hear Adam say things like, we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. And so with Habitat and Chef and focusing on Habitat, like it creates the opportunity for people to have a shared dialogue mm-hmm. and bring those people like to, the to the same table. I can't go the next step. I have these answers to these questions. I don't have the answers, but the right. guy running this thing is going to have those answers. Right. Let's get him involved. And so for those people to be able to come together and talk about this and have the things that they're good at and mm-hmm. be able to focus on the things that they're good at is pretty powerful. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of forcing the right questions to be asked mm-hmm. before we're so far down the path that you can't answer them well. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I well, worry about that. Well, and so with Habitat, you don't have to think about infrastructure right. yet. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you don't as much care about that right now, right? You're focusing on writing the app, whatever, you know, you want to write something Ruby, whatever you're building, mm-hmm. like you're going to use Habitat for that. But that allows you to work on that right now and delay that infrastructure decision until you're ready to run it. Interesting. And know that that will work. No matter what decisions you, know. you make. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it is a runtime and can run anywhere. So you're delaying that decision until so much later. Like, am I running in the cloud or on prem? Yeah, you can run it anywhere. What about clustering? You know, scaling to multiple machines. Mm-hmm different kinds of load balancing. Right. So there's this line where Mm -hmm. Habitat takes you to this point. And then, of course, again, you still need Chef to do your infrastructure, to do your networking. Mm -hmm. Habitat doesn't care about those things or want to care about those things. The other thing to think about is like, it's not a scheduler, right? It's not going to replace that type of tool. So you still, you know, may need to look at Kubernetes. You still need to look at Mesosphere and figure out what you're going to need um, in that regard. It doesn't attempt to uh, replace those. No, yeah. not at all. We've got solutions to those yeah. problems. Yeah. But the nice thing about Habitat, I don't know if you saw this because everybody's excited about Docker because it's really changing the development sure. space. But with Habitat, you can still get all of the benefits of Habitat and then literally three commands to export to a Docker container or a Mesos. So it's like Docker yeah. <laughs> export. Yeah, and now do this to Docker. So, yeah. I mean, one of the decisions that I can postpone is what container technology to use? Totally. Okay. I mean, that seems like a very profound thing because there's a lot of people kind of frozen in their tracks going, Kubernetes, Docker, you know, Mesosphere, mm-hmm. do I have to pick? And you're like, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, you can get not really, yet. I could actually have a prototype running and I haven't made that decision yet. Exactly. That's really I mean, that's, it's pretty radical. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. Yeah. And so there's, I imagine like that brings up questions around, I'm not going to say, you know, serverless or yeah. no ops or any of those kind of trigger words, yeah. but it. I think it changes the dynamic 
in a really positive way. Yeah, that you well, you can now explore those options. One of the reasons we get into analysis paralysis around these technologies is because the cost of being wrong is so high. It is so high. Right? Yeah. So, oh, you went down the one. You know, you got eighty percent of the way through building this project and hit this scaling wall, mm-hmm. and now you got to go back. Like yeah. that's that's bad news. The fact that mm-hmm. I could. Just work on functionality and features and then know I have some choices on how, where mm-hmm. I'm going to take this, how I'm going to break it out, how I'm going to make it reliable. Mm-hmm. That to me seems very interesting that we don't have yeah. to decide those things right away. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit more abstraction. Mm-hmm. I guess is the question of it. What overhead? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that we have a hard numbers around any of that right now. So, so you talked about scaling and the one mm-hmm. point that I think I want to get to here is that with the way habitat uh, with the supervisor, the way that works, and you think about the topology. So you want, um, it's, you basically want your applications, however many instances to know about each other. Right. And so with Habitat, the way that works, that orchestrate, we call it, we think about choreography versus orchestration. Right. Um, but as that, uh, service group and ring of supervisors grows larger, mm-hmm. um, you actually get more reliability. Which you, you wouldn't expect that. You no. think the larger your, your system, your more complex system your gets, you'll, you'll lose reliability. But this actually gets you more reliability the more, the, the larger it gets. Well, it's one of the challenges I've dealt with over the years, uh, building systems that got bigger and bigger and bigger and multiple teams was working on them is become, they became brittle, right? Very. Any changes broke a bunch of other people. Everybody's angry. Don't change that. And so, you know, I come from the old SOA movement where we just ran multiple versions of every service and they just got larger and larger and larger. Mm -hmm. They weren't so much brittle as they were, had huge inertia. Like it was just so much code. So that fragility is, is, you know, there's these, you know, book called anti-fragile and that whole concept of uh, how do we build things that work, that Mm -hmm. just work. It's just working. And I want that the consequence of aging is not negative. Right. They were actually making software that gets more robust. Like, just like you described, it's like the bigger this gets, the better it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And I think often we're running into with all these different tactics, age of software made it worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And people are afraid to make changes because it breaks things. And yeah. then people like don't work there anymore. <laughs> and, you know, stuff like that happens. And so it's not safe to make changes. Habitat right. and chef and, and, you know, create and inspec, of course, yep. create safety that I think a lot of us aren't used to having in, in sysadmin land. <laughs> yeah, just that, that you're willing to try, yeah. right? That we can light up new instances of things. I mean, how often have we run into situations where these apps are magical and we care for their machines and we're very careful with them. And then if something goes wrong, you, you almost don't know what to do. Exactly, so, exactly. It, so, you know, one of the things I got really excited about when we're on there on the configuration of code perspective is just this idea that there is no app in our in our pantheon that we're not willing to rebuild. That we, that we can't redeploy to somewhere else. That it's not a big deal. And now the idea that, that there's not just one deployment strategy, that, that I could change those strategies over time. That, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I don't, when it all comes true, because I mean, Docker in the Windows world hasn't come true yet either. No. And word sort of out this week that the Microsoft Ignite event is going to be when they ship server 2016. And that's supposed to be a version that the developer is going to care a lot about because mm-hmm. of the container capabilities and things like that. I mean, I've got to think from a Habitat perspective, you guys have got to work with those teams. This is where that stuff's going to need to live. Yes. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what all of that looks like. Yeah, yeah. So 
Given that those things are taken off the table, right, that we're kind of be able to make those decisions later, what does the operations role look like for a Habitat app? So you still need operations. Of like course. we, you know, that's not going away. Yeah. But the purview and, and the things that we need to care about in operations are different mm-hmm. now in, in a Habitat land. And so that's, that's, there's a couple things there, right? There's, the understanding that there's still value in operations and, and finding and helping those people continue to, you know, be great at that. And also relieving, you know, some of this uncertainty around, you know, they're not developers, right? They're just running things. So I, I think it's up to the individual practitioner to see this world in the new way and, and find their role in it. Right. But I think that there's absolutely room. For sure. Well, I just think about a, a person who's, Focus is on the reliability of a system. Yes. Right? That it's not their only metric, but it is a metric of, mm-hmm. uh, to be concerned about uptime. And so mm-hmm. they do want to make decisions about the number of instances of a given service and how they fail between each other mm-hmm. and so forth. Which, I mean, is that normal? So there's still input there, yeah, right? Yeah, I got a bit so, there is. So that doesn't, like, the need to share that um, with developers and, and plan these things doesn't mm-hmm. go away. If anything, it's, it's just increasing that conversation and have a better dialogue about it. And them in really informing. I mean, again, the developers writing that application know what it needs. Right. But, um, yeah, but they don't have that, that operations perspective. But they're also not deciding, oh, this is going to be in Docker, so we should build it this way. No, not at all, because you don't have to think about that. I mean, of course, you got to think about it. But well, but now as the decision is like, well, we're living in Habitat, so yeah. we have to think about these things. And now all of these container options are open to mm-hmm. us. Does that actually change code? Is it a set of libraries they're going to be calling that are related to Habitat? Like, uh, how much of a of a learning curve are the developers going to be up against to to build it this way? I think you would be surprised to know that working in Habitat should be no more difficult for a developer than writing their software in the first place. Same way they've always worked. It should not present almost mm. any cognitive burden to them in any way. Right. I mean, I'm a Windows sysadmin right. and I'm learning Habitat and I was able to learn it. So nice. if I can learn it, you know, I really don't think it's going to take a developer any time to crock this. It's just like, oh, you mean I don't need monitoring? I don't need to now go out and grab all these other bespoke things right. that I've got to cobble together. Well, this is, you know, we first started going into places like Azure and AWS for this matter. Mm-hmm. There was this idea of automated elasticity mm-hmm. that I'm going to be able to measure my app in some way inside my code to say, hey, give me another instance. Mm-hmm. Now give me another one. Oh, okay, these ones aren't being used anymore. Back them back down. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it ever came true, but it was a mm-hmm. picture that was painted to, for us in the early days of mm-hmm. the cloud. And I still, I mean, what I'm actually seeing happen when we're coming into like, it's going to be a busy weekend for this e-commerce site. And we just launch extra instances, expand the load balancer. Mm-hmm. You know, the cost of, of barely used instances is not that high. It's worth the insurance for, Hey, if we suddenly get busy, we're up and running for that. Mm-hmm. But I'm still pursuing this smarter cloud, you know, that maybe these, the operations guys on the weekend keeping an eye on the site as the loads goes up saying, yeah, launch additional mm-hmm. instances, more containers are running, mm-hmm. you know, we're handling that. Or we've had an outage on the East Coast, more of the loads coming to the West, let's stand up what we need. Mm-hmm. Does, does Habitat participate in that or is that still just a regular cloud tool? So first of all, I think that goes probably a little deeper than I've been uh, working with Habitat. Sure. But I would say that I think part of that topology awareness and that service discovery piece of Habitat is this gossip ring, this protocol that the supervisors... Gossip ring, I love. Yeah, so yeah. Our, the gossip protocol. And, yeah. and so basically, 
these supervisors all know about each other and it changes the discussion about scaling and the way the supervisors behave when one of them goes offline mm -hmm. and like if a new one comes on and you need to elect a new leader. Right. Um, so that's a real different paradigm of, of how to build an app. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what What's the scope of responsibility for a supervisor? Like what, what pieces do they own? There's going to be multiple per application or is it a supervisor per service? How does that break down? So the work that I've been doing it with it, you know, focusing on Redis because it's such a great, you know, sure. demo and people can sort of relate to how that works. Um, there's a few things you, that you're going to account for in Habitat um, that it will do for you, monitoring mm -hmm. and sort of health checks, exposing these things over an API. Right. So you've got your monitoring, which is, again, I think pretty radical. Well, if you're telling me, hey... Here's a tool that understands Redis well enough to know when it's healthy and when it's sick. Mm -hmm. Like that, I, that I don't have to invent that myself or decide that myself. And that's a big deal to just sort of take that off the table and say, Oh, okay, you're using Redis. This is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, and that very much reminds me of, you know, chef recipes where it's like, here's a recipe for deploying mm -hmm. Redis as part of an infrastructure. So this is part of what Habitat takes on. It's like, this is the right way to measure a tool like Redis. It's, again, such a radical way of running applications sure. and, and connecting these services together. This reference of, of biological systems and mm -hmm. promise theory and how they work together. So what they've done with Habitat is pretty revolutionary in being able to bundle those things that you just don't need to go outside of the box right. for anymore. They're in there. They're in there. So yeah. That now seems to also affect my architectural plans. It's like, I'd rather go down the shopping list of things directly supported by Habitat. I mean, we talked about all the different container technologies, but mm -hmm. I can't imagine it's every piece of software on the planet has already got a plan for it. No, I mean, we have a lot of plans sure. out of the box, like ready to go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you have a piece of software that you want to package up with Habitat, I bet you we could go through that in 10 or 15 I bet minutes. there's an SDK somewhere. Yeah. Probably, a, yeah. I think it's going to be a very interesting time for developers and yeah. operations um, with this. And I'm just, right, again, right now, our focus too is getting folks to try it. Right. And take it, you know, for a spin. take it for a spin and just see if it, it, it solves a problem for you, right. you know, and that, and we're not talking about the windows folks just yet. Just yet. Yeah. But I got to think someone maybe running a node angular site. Are the, are those options supported? Can I make habitat work with my node site? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the plans that I was trying to write when I was first learning Habitat was like, how do I stand up a GOG server just as, you know, or a simple static node site? Right. Those are fun, small things that you can start with with Habitat. Well, it's one of the strengths of nodes, right? You know exactly how much surface area you've got. So, you know, you, it's pretty easy to push that over there and just to see something work and see the advantage and say, well, let's try packaging this in different ways. Mm -hmm. We even now have a um, chef cookbook that installs Habitat for the of Habitat binary. Like, I yeah. know that's... Naturally yeah, you do. Yeah, of of course, course. Of course. Last show we did, we did talk about compliance. Yeah, we and were it, talking it, about inspect and compliance. Yeah, yeah. It seems like uh, today's keynote as well sort of showed how compliance plays in this overall conversation of Chef, Habitat, uh, inspect. Yeah. All, all, all together. So just making that part of the workflow. Yeah, and so... The compliance piece, like we had that show and mm -hmm. it was super interesting. What I'm seeing compliance do for organizations is really powerful. Mm -hmm. And now with Chef Automate, they've sort of packaged up this base layer, foundational layer of automation. And then they give you all of the management and support and all of that on top of it. Yeah. But inspect that open source component of our compliance tool, mm -hmm. such an important part of this picture. Just a way to document what our security requirements are and then, yeah. and then actually build tests around that. Like it just, I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation there, but it's neat to see it 
just being built into the workflow now. Mm-hmm. Part of your building your software involves going through inspec and, and having that assessment done. Same. Yeah, including that much earlier in the process. Yeah, just a natural part of it. So these three pieces now, right? Chef, Habitat, and uh, inspect sort of represent a big chunk of the overall story of how we keep yeah. and sustain software. Mm-hmm. I'm never worried about security version one. Because generally the guys, gonna, the guys are going to go through everything. It's how do I efficiently get to version two? Mm-hmm that where good compliance tools seem to make the difference on that part. I think that's mm-hmm. so much of this conversation now is sustainability. It's continuing yeah. to evolve software. And I, I hope to see Habitat play a role in that as well. It's mm-hmm. just how do we get from version to versioning and actually get well, better? Well, yeah. And so that, you know, how do you update something? Yeah. You know, that whole question. How do you know that you did the right thing in that, the process? It, and that it actually worked? Do you actually know? Do you know? I mean, you don't because, I mean, well, I think, it's yeah. still compliant? Too, right? You know, V1 was thoroughly assessed for compliance and maybe it's a financial compliant or it's a healthcare mm-hmm. client. But did V2? And do you really have to redo the whole compliance if you only change this piece? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's the battle that folks get into. Yeah. And Adam, I mean, Adam had a good example. He was talking about SSL. I, I think he was talking about SSL. Yeah, he, and SSL he was too. giving that example where <laughs> the example was, you know, you have these other tools that will scan and, and you know, compliance, but they have no idea if the service got restarted or... Right. So that example, I'll have to look at the example that he gave, but I thought that was a pretty powerful one and with other tools you actually don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a really interesting part of it. You introduce a library into your system mm-hmm. and it's running... An old SSL stack, a right. SSL V2 stack, which you really shouldn't run anymore. Mm-hmm. And even though your guys haven't specifically brought that code in, you know, or were simply unaware, mm-hmm. you got to be able to detect that and realize, mm-hmm. oh, you know, this is an out of date certificate. Of course, the big buzz right now is Pokemon Go. <laughs> Have you downloaded it? You're running uh, it? Yeah, I got the daughters playing so okay. far. I was an old Ingress guy back in the day, but uh, it hasn't taken very long for some, for folks to find out that. Uh, their service isn't properly validating SSL certificates. Yeah. That's a problem. That's, That's a, a little bit you of a problem. You know, there are tools <laughs> that would have helped them pick that up in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. So the difference in some of these tools, it's like the difference between inspecting a file, you know, right. our file system versus a process and what's actually running. So that and looking at an actual operation, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of cert was that? Was it tested at the right times? So was it tested the right way? Mm-hmm. I think those are, are lots of fine details. I think are challenging to make work, but it's got to yeah. be part of the workflow. Has to be. Hey, Jess, it's always so much fun to talk to you. So much Exciting fun. Exciting times. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. I can't wait. Like a year from now. When Windows is out and Habitat's mature and all these pieces are running together, yeah. I don't even know what software could be very different for us. I think it will. I really look forward to talking to you again next year and let's see yeah. see where we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, the show. thank you. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. <laughs>